To get this episode of Forensic Tales ad-free, please visit patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. Forensic Tales discusses topics that some listeners may find disturbing. The contents of this episode may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On April 14, 2022, 12-year-old Sean woke up excited for school. He and his family were getting set to move to Washington, D.C. Sean told all his friends about his move to the Pentagon. When he arrived home from school, the straight-A middle schooler did his homework and babysat his two-year-old brother while the family returned. Sean's sister came home first, but Sean didn't answer the door. Maria decided to try the back door. Then a nightmare happened. Sean is found hanging in the backyard, his hands bound with a belt and a motorcycle bag over his head. And he's wearing his stepfather's clothes. This is Forensic Tales, episode number 154, What Happened to Sean Daugherty? Welcome to Forensic Tales. I'm your host, Courtney Fretwell Ariola. Forensic Tales is a weekly true crime podcast covering real, spine-tingling stories with a forensic science twist. Some cases have been solved with forensic science, while others have turned cold. Every remarkable story sends us a chilling reminder that not all stories have happy endings. As a one-woman show, your support helps me find new compelling cases, conduct in-depth fact-based research, and produce and edit this weekly show. As a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get early ad-free access to weekly episodes, shout-outs and episodes, priority on case suggestions, and access to weekly bonus episodes. Before we get to the episode, we've got two new supporters of the show that I want to thank. Thank you so much to Chris and Crystal for becoming our newest patrons of the show. To support Forensic Tales, please visit patreon.com slash Forensic Tales or simply click the link in the show notes. You can also support the show by leaving a positive rating with a review. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Thursday, April 14th, 2022 started as an ordinary day for the Daugherty Rivas family. The Daugherty-Rivas family consisted of Ramona, Jared, and their children, Maria, Ethan, Hunter, and Sean. The children's 79-year-old grandmother, Vija, also lived with them. Ramona and Jared were both high-ranking lieutenant colonels in the U.S. Air Force. Their careers in the military meant the family moved frequently. The family purchased a home on Sandalwood Lane in Yorkville, Virginia, a few years earlier a town with a population of a little more than 70,000 people, and the site of the final battle of the American Revolution in October 1781. When the family moved to Saddlewood Lane in Yorktown, they were happy. Their home was nestled into the community of Wythe Creek Farms, a family-oriented neighborhood known for its strict homeowners association rules. 
Strict HOA rules means the houses and neighborhoods have immaculate upkeep. Generally speaking, Yorktown was considered a quiet and safe community, a place where many families with young children, like the Doherty family, would want to live. But life in Yorktown wouldn't last long. By April 2022, Ramona, Jared, and their children were ready for a fresh start. They were ready to pack up and move again. This time, they were headed to the Pentagon. When Ramona and Jared told their kids about the move, they were just as excited. 12-year-old Sean was particularly excited about moving to Washington, D.C. The day after his parents told him, he went to school and told all his friends he was moving to the Pentagon. It was a dream move for Sean and his siblings. In April 2022, Ramona and Jared had already sold their house on Saddlewood Lane and rented it from the new owners until they moved in a few weeks. They were sad their time in Yorktown was up, but they were looking forward to the move to Washington, D.C. By this point, the entire family was used to moving and starting fresh somewhere. On Thursday, April 14, 2022, the family was only a few weeks away from the move and the spirits in the house were high. The week before was spring break, which meant the kids, Maria, Hunter, Ethan, and Sean had the entire week off from school. To celebrate their time off, Ramona and Jared took the family on a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip on a Disney cruise. The family had a great time on the cruise and they were already planning their next Disney cruise to Alaska in August. Everyone in the family was looking forward to this next vacation. But on April 14th, 2022, tragedy struck. There wouldn't be another Disney cruise for the family. On April 14th, 2022, 12-year-old Sean got off the school bus a few minutes after 3 o'clock p.m., Sean was the second oldest in the family and a sixth-grade straight-A student at Tab Middle School. So many things came naturally for him. In almost everything he did, he excelled. He was even a talented musician. One of his favorite things to do was read. At last year's school book fair, he spent over $100 of his own allowance on new books. At school, he was always described as a friendly and happy kid. He made friends quickly and was rarely in a bad mood. He was the kind of kid others gravitated to. Once he got off the school bus a little after 3 o'clock p.m. that day, he walked two houses down to his own house. When he got home, Viha, his grandmother, was there watching Sean's younger half-brother. As soon as Sean got inside the house, Viha told him to watch his brother, who was asleep on the couch. A few moments later, Sean's mom, Ramona, drove up to the house. She yelled out to Sean that she needed to take Viha to a doctor's appointment, and he needed to watch his younger brother for about an hour until they got back. Sean turned around and told his mom okay and smiled at her before returning inside. Twelve-year-old Sean was used to watching his younger siblings, especially the youngest, who was only a toddler. For a boy his age, he actually liked babysitting. So when his mom Ramona asked him to watch his younger brother for about an hour that afternoon, it was nothing out of the ordinary. Sean happily agreed. Once Ramona drove off with Sean's grandmother, Sean went inside and started working on homework. He knew he needed to finish his homework assignments and chores before he was allowed to play video games with his friends. At 3.09 p.m., 
he submitted a photo of himself holding up his homework assignment. A few minutes later, Ramona called Sean at the house. She had just spoken with her husband, Jared, who said their two-year-old had been napping almost two hours, and they both agreed that Sean should wake him up or he'd never go to bed that night. Ramona called Sean and asked him to wake his brother up, give him a snack, and maybe watch TV with him downstairs until she got back from the doctor's appointment. Sean told his mom, okay. At 3.27 p.m., Ramona called her son again, and he answered right away. She said she realized Sean probably wanted to play his video games since he was finished with his homework. So she told him that it was okay to bring his younger brother upstairs. Sean's bedroom was on the second floor of the house. And Sean loved the idea and told his mom that he would get his brother set up on an iPad. But before Sean got his brother set up on the iPad, he needed to wake him up and get him a snack. That's when Sean took some peaches out of the fridge and put it in a bowl. Like many kids Sean's age, he had chores he needed to do around the house. One of his chores was taking out the trash at 3.30 p.m. And this particular day was no different. At 3.30 p.m., he should have gone upstairs to get the trash from the two upstairs bathrooms and come back downstairs to get the trash from the kitchen. But that didn't happen. The trash wasn't taken out. And this is the moment that Sean's story gets fuzzy. A little after 4.30 p.m., Sean's older sister, 16-year-old Maria, returned home from a tennis match. She was in a hurry because her boyfriend's mom was going to pick her up any moment to take her to watch her boyfriend play lacrosse. She tried running into the house to save time, but stopped because the front door was locked. She knew her younger brother, Sean, was supposed to be home watching their younger brother, so she thought it was strange the door was locked and Sean didn't answer. She tried knocking on the door, but no answer. She rang the doorbell a few times. Still no response. She even sent Sean a text message at 4.50 p.m. to see what he was doing and why he wasn't answering the door, but she didn't get a response. Maria's next move was a phone call to her mom. She called Ramona to ask where Sean was, and her mom said he was inside. Maria said he wasn't answering the door, but Ramona thought he might not hear it because he was playing video games upstairs. She hung up the phone with her mom and decided to try the house's back door. It could be unlocked. But as soon as she got to the backyard, she made a devastating discovery. When Maria got to the backyard, she saw someone hanging from their swing set with a bag over their head. She looked around, trying to figure out a way to get inside the house because this stranger hanging from her swing set might follow her. But then she realized the person hanging from the swing set with a bag over their head was her 12-year-old brother, Sean. She immediately ran up to her brother and removed the bag from his head. A belt bound both his wrists together. At 4.54 p.m., she frantically called 911. Emergency dispatchers instructed her to get him down from the hanging position and begin CPR on him until emergency personnel could arrive. Six minutes later, paramedics took over, but they were too late. 12-year-old Sean was already dead. Despite performing CPR and administering shocks with an AED, 
it was determined that Sean had been gone for some time. There was no chance at reviving him. He was pronounced dead at Riverside Regional Medical Center. Ramona arrived home from the doctor's appointment with Sean's grandma to find the place surrounded by police and paramedics. In her front yard, the police broke the news to her that her 12-year-old son was found hanging from the swing set, dead. When Sean's body was discovered by his sister, he was hanging from the swing set in the family's backyard. His arms and hands were bound by his side with a belt. According to the medical examiner's report, his hands were bound together so tightly with the belt, they had trouble removing it when they needed to administer shocks with the AED. He had a motorcycle helmet bag over his head tied around a string. He had been suspended to the swing set by his chin and not his neck. His feet were dangling and his knees were almost close enough to the ground where they could touch. He was wearing men's clothing. His broken glasses were found a few feet away from the swing set. The clothing was eventually identified as belonging to his stepfather, Jared. He was wearing his stepfather's t-shirt and a pair of black underwear. According to his family, Sean had terrible vision, so he wouldn't have been able to see very clearly without his glasses. Sean's family was initially asked to stay at a hotel that night while the police processed the house for any evidence. The first theory was that someone had broken into the house and killed Sean, but they needed to process the house for any evidence and find out exactly what happened to him. For the first few hours of the investigation, there was an intense fear in the neighborhood. A possible killer could be on the loose. If someone could kill a 12-year-old boy and hang him from his swing set, what else could this person do? Throughout the early evening, the police interviewed the neighbors to find out if anyone had heard or saw anything. They needed witnesses because the only other person at the house was Sean's two-year-old brother. But finding witnesses in the neighborhood proved impossible. None of the family's neighbors knew anything about what might have happened to Sean. No one heard or saw anything in the neighborhood that day. No suspicious vehicles were seen driving in and out of the community. And no one saw anyone inside the family's backyard. No one in the neighborhood heard or saw anything. Investigators then went through the family's home, looking for evidence of an intruder. The police took pictures of the inside of the house and the backyard where the swing set was located. But according to the police, nothing from their search suggested anyone had broken into the house. They didn't find any evidence of a struggle or a break-in. By midnight that same evening, the police told Sean's family they were done going through the house and they were free to come home. They no longer needed to stay at a hotel that night. The family was surprised at just how quickly the police turned the house back to them. They thought it would take at least a few days for the police to go through everything and collect all the evidence they needed. According to the police, they did collect all the forensic and physical evidence they needed in the case. But as soon as the family returned home, they noticed some strange things that they thought the police might have missed during their search. The first thing that stuck out to the family was a bowl with a peach on the kitchen counter. 
On the last phone call between Sean and his mom, Ramona, Ramona reminded him he needed to give his little brother a snack when he woke up from his nap. But when the family returned home, they noticed the peach sitting in the bowl on the kitchen counter completely untouched. No one had even taken a bite out of it. According to the family, it looked like Sean was making the snack, but abruptly stopped. Oddly enough, the police didn't collect the fruit bowl for evidence. The family also noticed two trash bags tied up on the floor next to Sean's croc sandals. Like the fruit, it looked like Sean was just about to put his shoes on to take out the trash, but was abruptly stopped. Sean was supposed to take the trash out every afternoon as part of his daily chores. After taking out the trash, he could play video games with his friends. But the two trash bags on the floor suggest that he never completed that chore. On the second floor, the family discovered Sean's underwear lying on the floor in the master bedroom. They weren't in Sean's bedroom where you typically expect to find them. When his body was discovered, he wasn't wearing his own clothes. Instead, he was wearing his stepfather's t-shirt and pair of black underwear. So the family thought it was strange for his underwear to be in their bedroom and that Sean was wearing his stepfather's clothes. According to Sean's mom, Ramona, he had never taken his underwear off in her room. They also noticed that Sean's stepfather, Jared's dresser drawers, were left open. The family also noticed a few other things the police seemed to miss. One was the temperature inside the house. According to the family, when they returned from the hotel, the heat in the house was set to 85 degrees Fahrenheit, a temperature much higher than what they usually had it set at. Another matter was two additional trash bags. According to Ramona, she found two different empty trash bags lying on the floor. Both bags were almost completely ripped up. When she saw the trash bags, she instantly knew they weren't hers. The family used trash bags that had red handles, and these two ripped bags had blue handles. When Sean died, the only other person inside the house was his two-year-old little brother. He was the one that Sean was supposed to be babysitting when he died. Now, of course, a two-year-old doesn't make the best witness in a criminal investigation. But according to the family, this is what he said. Sean's little brother said that Sean's quote-unquote friend was out the house that day and was punching him. But according to the police, they didn't find any evidence that anyone other than the family had been inside the house that day. So it's unclear who the toddler said he was chasing around Sean and who was punching him. Because of his age, Sean's little brother couldn't provide any physical description of the person or any other details. After a relatively short investigation involving the sudden death of a 12-year-old, the Virginia police released its findings on the case. And their findings not only shocked the family, but many other people were surprised by the results. According to the medical examiner's report, the police and forensic pathologists believe Sean died by suicide. Based on their investigation and autopsy, they think Sean hung himself. And there was no foul play. Hey, Forensic Tales listeners, Courtney here. Do you hate listening to ads? 
Well, you can listen to every single episode of this show ad-free through Patreon, starting for just $3 a month. And what's great? You don't have to change how you listen. You can still enjoy ad-free episodes of Forensic Tales through most podcast apps. As a patron, you'll also get other great perks, like weekly bonus episodes. This is where I give you my reaction to each week's story that I don't share in regular episodes. But more importantly, your support means I can continue to deliver high-quality weekly true crime stories. Don't forget, Forensic Tales is just a one-woman show. If you're interested in learning more, go to patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. That's patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. There's also a link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Despite all the troubling aspects of the case, the Virginia police concluded that Sean's death was a suicide. According to the police, they didn't find any evidence of foul play and believe the hanging was intentional. It was 12-year-old Sean who intentionally hung himself from the swing set. In the medical examiner's report, the pathologist noted, quote, that no history of depression or suicidality was found, end quote. But the report also noted that the police considered the possibility that Sean might have been bullied at school and that bullying was a potential cause of his decision to commit suicide. But Sean's family adamantly disagrees with the police and medical examiner's findings of suicide. Sean's family is completely unaware of any bullying except for one incident in December, several months before Sean's death. Other than that, they said Sean was a happy and well-liked kid at school, and he wasn't the targeting of chronic bullying. The family questions how the medical examiner and police came up with the conclusion of suicide, especially with Sean's behavior the night before. The family says the night before he died, Ramona brought some cookies home and a couple of them were carrot cakes, one of Sean's favorites, and he was especially happy about getting them. After the cookies, Sean spent time with his mom like he did every night before bed. According to Ramona, nothing about that conversation suggested Sean was unhappy, depressed, or considering suicide. The family also points out their move to Washington, D.C., which was supposed to happen in a few weeks. They said Sean was ecstatic when he discovered they were moving to the Pentagon. As soon as he found out, he ran to school and told all of his friends. The police searched Sean's phone, iPad, and computer to see if he had done any searches about suicides and hangings. But when they searched all of his electronic devices, they didn't find anything on them related to suicide. No Google searches about hanging yourself and no messages about suicide. Nothing. But not everyone who is depressed and considering suicide acts and thinks the same way. Someone depressed and suicidal can make plans for the future and seem fine one day and be gone the next. But it wasn't simply how Sean acted before he died that appeared to contradict the medical examiner and police's findings. There is also physical and forensic evidence. First is how Sean's body was discovered. 
Not only was he found hanging from the swing set with a bag around his head, but his arms and hands were also bound together with a belt. Someone can hang themselves and also tie their hands and feet together. Sometimes people do this because they don't want to back out of what they're doing. So they tie their feet and hands together so they can't change their minds and save themselves. But the question here becomes, could Sean have bound himself and then got himself up on the swing set to successfully hang himself? According to the family, the answer to that question is no. The first evidence they point to is the paramedic's report. The paramedics who first arrived on the scene to perform CPR on Sean said the belt was tied so tightly around his hands that they had difficulty removing them so that they could hook an AED up to him. It looked extremely tight for a 12-year-old. The family also pointed towards Sean's glasses, which were found several feet away from the swing set. The family doesn't believe that Sean would have been able to bind himself and hang himself without his glasses because his eyesight was so bad. There was also a bag around Sean's head. It was a bag for a motorcycle helmet. So not only did he have to bind his hands, he would have also had to tie the string around his head around the helmet bag that was used to hang himself. Now, there are conflicting reports about how close Sean's body was to the ground when his sister discovered him. According to his sister, Maria, his knees were close enough to the ground that he could touch. If this was true, it seems unlikely that Sean would have been able to successfully been able to hang himself. It's not impossible, but it makes, but it, makes it more difficult because he could just put his feet down and stand up. But according to the police, Sean wasn't as close to the ground as Maria said. According to them, a chair had been moved from the deck to be under him when he hung himself. The police said they moved the chair out of the way to perform CPR on him. When investigators got to the house, they took photos of the house and the backyard. But according to Sean's family, these photos have never been shared with them, so it's unclear whether there was or wasn't a chair nearby. The motorcycle bag found around Sean's head was determined to be a bag from the family's garage, and the string used to hang him came from another motorcycle helmet bag also taken out of the garage. It was about the size of a shoelace. So all the supplies used to hang him came from somewhere in the house. But the family is skeptical about Sean's decision to use this type of string to hang himself. Both Ramona and Jared, his parents, were high-ranking officials with years of experience in the U.S. military. Over the years, they accumulated a lot of equipment they kept in their garage, including boxes of rope, cords, and military-grade 550 paracords. Their garage was filled with different types of ropes and cords that were much stronger than a string from a motorcycle helmet bag. And according to the family, Sean knew this. So they wondered why he wouldn't have gone with something far stronger if he intended on hanging himself. The family also noted that several boots in the garage had been partially unlaced. They wondered if someone tried 
to take the laces and realize they wouldn't work. Besides the military equipment in the garage, the family also wondered why, if Sean hung himself, he didn't use something else. One of the things they point to is one of his stepfather Jared's neckties. If Sean was found hanging wearing his stepfather's clothes, which he was, why wouldn't he use a necktie instead? The choice of the string used makes very little sense to the family. The string was turned over to the medical examiner for testing, and according to the police, it was tested for DNA. When the results came back, the only DNA found on the string was Sean's DNA. The police said they found Sean's DNA on part of the knot as well. After the police said they were done searching the house for evidence, the family said they found a large handprint on the back door window. The handprint was much bigger than a child's print and was too big even for Ramona or Jared. Not only were they surprised to find a large fingerprint on the back door, they also thought that it had some sort of residue or film on it, making it stand out even more. The family immediately called and told the police about the handprint so that it could be tested. But after the police came out and lifted the handprint, there were conflicting reports about what was discovered. A few weeks after the police lifted the handprint, the lead investigator on the case said they got a good print, but when they ran it through the system, they didn't get a match. Now, a few months later, a conflicting report arose. The police later said the handprint wasn't any good, and when they tried lifting it, they couldn't. And since no usable prints were lifted from the house, nothing was tested. Based on these conflicting reports, it's unclear whether the initial handprint found on the window by the back door was ever tested or sent out. At this point, it seems unlikely testing can ever be done or redone on the handprint. The family has also said they found small blood marks inside the house once they returned. They believe the blood marks weren't there before and might be connected to what happened to Sean. But in a statement by the police, they said the blood was found inside the home later, and the blood wasn't there on the day of the investigation. But the family believes the blood is simply another piece of forensic evidence that was mishandled by the police. When Sean's sister Maria found him, she said he was barefoot and his feet looked perfectly clean. According to her, she didn't see any mud or dirt on his feet. This was strange because if he was found without shoes, you'd expect to see some dirt or mud on the bottom of his feet because he would have had to walk out of the house barefoot to get himself on the swing set. But the police offered a different explanation. In the official police report, they said the yard wasn't muddy that day, and because the ground was dry, this would explain why his feet were so clean. Then there were the men's clothing Sean was wearing. It was later determined that he was wearing his stepfather's shirt and underwear when he died. But the family thinks this is bizarre. Not only was it out of character for Sean to take off and leave his underwear in his parents' bedroom, he had never worn his stepfather's clothes before. Sean's jacket and flannel he was wearing earlier that day were found in his closet, but the t-shirt and shorts he had on were never found. 
The police haven't offered an explanation for this other than Sean could have gone upstairs to his parents' bedroom, changed into his stepfather's clothes, and then gone outside to the swing set. They also have not offered a theory about his missing t-shirt and shorts. The medical examiner who performed the autopsy performed a perk test. A perk exam is a special medical examination given to people who have been sexually assaulted to collect evidence that might be useful in an investigation. Because Sean was wearing different clothes, the police wanted to find out if he had been sexually assaulted. But based on the perk exam results, the medical examiner didn't find any evidence that Sean had been sexually assaulted. So sexual assault was officially ruled out. There are a lot of possible theories out there about what happened to Sean. First, he was the victim of foul play like his family suspects. Someone broke inside the house that afternoon while Sean was making a snack for his little brother and before he took out the trash. That could explain why the bowl of fruit was left untouched on the counter and why the two trash bags were still on the floor next to his shoes. It might also explain why his hands were bound with the belt and the bag placed over his head. But why someone targeted Sean isn't clear. There are many possible theories for this. Maybe someone in the neighborhood is responsible. Maybe the family was targeted because of his parents' high ranking in the military. Or maybe this was a random act of violence perpetrated by a random stranger. Many different theories exist, but none explain the entire mystery completely. At this point, there isn't enough evidence to say with any degree of certainty what the motive could be if Sean was in fact a victim of foul play. The other theory about what happened to Sean is the police's official report. Sean committed suicide by hanging. Although the family said he was a happy 12-year-old boy, the police believe all signs and evidence point to a suicide. According to the police, they found no evidence that someone had broken inside the house that afternoon and killed him. The official report by the medical examiner and the police is suicide. They said school bullying may be a possible cause, but there might have been other causes the family is unaware of. At this point, there are so many unanswered questions. This isn't an open and shut case. There is plenty to investigate, including potential forensic evidence. And hopefully, if that testing can be done, more could be understood about what really happened that day. The Sheriff's Department is the primary agency investigating Sean's case. In their official report, they ruled his death a suicide by hanging. As of today, the Sheriff's Office considers the case closed and is unclear if they are considering any new evidence but the family is asking for the case to be handed over to state and federal law enforcement to be reopened. They want a fresh set of eyes to look at it and test evidence they believe the local sheriff's department missed during their initial investigation of Sean's death. That request remains pending. The medical examiner provided a statement saying that in the case where a family disagrees with the cause of death, they are allowed to present any new information. The medical examiner's statement read in part, quote, In cases where the family suspects that someone killed their loved one, 
we ask families to contact the investigating law enforcement agency immediately to express their concerns. We advise that law enforcement should be involved as they need to conduct the necessary follow-up on the new information, end quote. On November 2nd, 2022, Sean would have been 13 years old. In a Facebook post published by the family, the family said they had booked a trip to celebrate his birthday. It was a trip that Sean planned himself. The family went on the trip without him and followed his itinerary the way that he would have wanted them to. Following Sean's death, his family launched a massive social media campaign to bring awareness to the case. They have also hired a private investigator to help uncover new evidence. The family desperately wants to figure out what happened to their son. They believe the police have grossly mishandled the case and important forensic evidence. Everyone wants to know why a seemingly happy 12-year-old suddenly decided to bind his hands together with a belt, tie a bag around his head, and hang himself from the swing set in his family's backyard while wearing his stepfather's clothes. If you want to learn more about supporting the family, please consider following the What Happened to Sean Facebook group. It is a public Facebook group that provides useful and updated information about the case. It's a page that I used extensively during the research and preparation for this episode. If you'd like to support the family further, they also have a change.org petition. The petition is also called What Happened to Sean? As of today, the petition has over 30,000 signatures. The What Happened to Sean petition reads, quote, Sean Daugherty, 12, passed away at his home in Yorktown, Virginia, on April 14, 2022, under suspicious circumstances. We are starting a petition to the Virginia Bureau of Investigation, as well as to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, in hopes that they will take the case over and investigate properly. Our local sheriff's department has failed us, and our rights as victims have been violated. Help us get justice for our son and take a killer off the street. End quote. Sean's family is asking anyone with information about his mysterious death to call a private tip line that they have set up at 804 905 8613. An email address has also been set up at whathappentoshawn at gmail.com. The family remains hopeful that more information and a deeper investigation will help provide answers to find out what really happened to Sean that April afternoon. To share your thoughts on the mysterious death of Sean Daugherty, be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. To find out what I think about the case, Sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash Forensic Tales. After each episode, I release a bonus episode where I share my personal thoughts and opinions about the case. You'll want to check this one out because I'm going to share with you what I think happened to him. Don't forget to subscribe to Forensic Tales so you don't miss an episode. We release a new episode every Monday. If you love the show, consider leaving us a positive review or tell friends and family about us. You can also help support this show through Patreon. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please join me next week 
we'll have a brand new case and a brand new story to talk about. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings. Forensic Tales is a Rockefeller audio production. The show is written and produced by me, Courtney Fretwell Ariola. For a small monthly contribution, you can help create new compelling cases for the show, help fund research, and assist with production and editing costs. For supporting the show, you'll become one of the first to listen to new ad-free episodes and snag exclusive show merchandise not available anywhere else. To learn about how you can support the show, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Forensic Tales, or simply click the support link in the show notes. You can also support the show by leaving a positive review or telling friends and family about us. Forensic Tales is a podcast made possible by our Patreon producers, Tony A., Nicole L., David B., Nicole G., Paula G., Christine B., Karen D., Sherry A., Elizabeth M., Michael D., Lisa S., and Nicola. If you'd like to become a producer of this show, head over to our Patreon page, or send me an email at Courtney at ForensicTales.com to find out how you can become involved. For a complete list of sources used in this episode, please visit ForensicTales.com. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Until then, remember, not all stories have happy endings. Thank you.